The Hit Team Productions. What's up, peoples? How you doing? <laughs> doing. <laughs> if you're in Sacramento, you're not doing much. You're moving at the pace of a snail right now to try to conserve energy and maintain some level of coolness. Yeah. Or you're dead on the sidewalk, <laughs> one or the other. Because it's, Art to a crisp. <laughs> <laughs> because it is hot as hell out here in Sacramento. 106 it hit today. Yeah. It was estimated at 107, but it hit 106. I'm cool. I, I don't need Literally? to be out there. Yeah. I'm inside. So <laughs> the hell with all that. Fuck this heat. Yeah, it's yeah. bad. Yeah. It's bad. It was so bad. I said, fuck work today. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I wasn't doing it. Yeah. Nah, I can't function in heat like this. It makes me like just it's not good for me. Yeah. In fact, last night when I did it, I was wheezing. Hmm. It's like Is extreme that like heat. Allergy thing? Or? I think so. Extreme heat just physically affects me. And I know obviously it does everyone, but it's just a different kind of thing for me. I just don't feel well. Hmm. I don't feel like my brain is doing what it's supposed to it's like it feels like it's got sludge in it sludgy brain sludgy huh? brain nobody wants mm. that no nah. okay well so let's go we um we're going to we were kicking around a bunch of ideas for this week's podcast but the truth of the matter is is that i kind of briefly touched on this topic maybe an episode ago possibly two and it's still lingering so it was time to talk about it because we talk about things I might have mentioned that I was feeling really out of sorts. And I think I even kind of mentioned like how dark some of my thought process was going. And uh, I had to admit that maybe what was happening was not just Mercury in retrograde, which which it is. If you subscribe to any of that, I believe that Mer- Mercury in retrograde has a, an effect on things. In fact, my motherfucking TV took a giant shit on Friday. <laughs> it was working and then it froze and then it died. Yep. So, um, you it's know, in heaven now. Electronics are affected. Um, you know, all kinds of things are just out of sorts. And so I think there was a part of me that wanted to write off the space I was sitting in, um, as, um, as that, but the truth of the matter is, is that I started to realize that other things were happening, like the desire to sleep all day and 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 getting unusually weepy for for no what really was no reason, like in my normal state would not have made me behave that way. Uh, really, really edgy, snapping on people. Uh, there's a person trying to sell our house right now who has unfortunately been on the receiving end of a lot of my mood here lately and so I had to um I had to have a sit down with myself and and admit to myself once I went over everything that I was feeling that it wasn't just an off thing happening it's that you know my predisposed brain that has been there before had uh somehow the chemicals have been off balance again and and I'm back in some sort of a depression and and I hate to even say it because I, one of the things I hear all the time from people, especially people who listen to this podcast, oh my God, Lori, you say how it is. You're so funny. You're so honest. You're so this, you're so that. So strong. I hear that one a lot. You're so strong. You can just say what you think. And the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter how strong somebody is. If you have the, um, the chemical imbalance in the brain, uh, a, a, basically it's a, a serotonin um, deficiency, uh, then you too have suffered from uh, depression. So while we're happy to talk about some dick and we're happy to talk about some titty sweat, <laughs> uh, sometimes we got to talk about real shit. And so we decided that we were going to dive our toes and feet and asses into a conversation about mental health. And so it was funny when we started having this conversation that we were going to go there with, Alton was like, well, what do we call the episode? And I was like, mental illness. And he's all, I don't know. And I was like, well, what do you want to call it? He's like, mental health and i was like oh, okay so you're saying that when we have depression we're healthy <laughs> well i i think my point was i i just didn't want anything to sound negative yeah i mean because we our show is called everything fucking sucks and, and depression fucking sucks it, too and, and it does i'm not i'm not saying that it doesn't uh but you know i just didn't want it to sound 
negative, like we were. I don't know. I don't know what I'm I trying to say what here. You know? I do understand what you're saying. Um, and and the reason that I brought it up just now is because there is such a tremendous negative connotation to the discussion of mental illnesses. But the truth is, I pulled up some statistics for this because I want it to be clear. Coming straight off of the CDC website, in 2015, there were an estimated 43.4 million people, adults, about one in five Americans, only talking about age 18 and older, with a mental illness the year before that. This was the information they published in early 2018. I want you to think about that number. One in five people is living their life with the struggles of a mental illness. And even though we don't like anything being called an illness, it is what it is. It is what it is. And maybe if we can talk about it, honestly, we can take some of the fucking stigma out of what it is. True. So, uh, I guess I always knew I had a propensity for something not right. I remember as a kid, I always had all these like stressful stomach issues, which later proved to, to be an actual illness. But I think that there's this part of you that knows that something isn't sitting right in your headspace and you don't have the words for, it. you don't have the language for it at that time. And so I always had this like nervous feeling in my stomach and, and, and there would be times where I felt like I couldn't breathe. And there would be times where I felt like, like my thoughts rushed faster than I could process them, which made me feel really overwhelmed. And a lot of the time scared. And as an adult, um, I didn't know what all those things were. In fact, I went undiagnosed until I was in my 30s, in spite of the fact that I had a wicked case of postpartum depression mm. that I knew about. But it's almost like there's this pass for it being like hormonal. And when you really get down to brass tacks, the truth of the matter is, is that once I was diagnosed, I could look back and see all the spaces in my life where I had had a serious depressive episode. There was a period of time I didn't talk to my childhood best friend Miranda I've talked about her before over a year I did not get on the phone for over a year because I just I couldn't verbalize the words for what was happening in my head and I was ashamed to tell her that like I was ashamed to tell her that like I couldn't get out of bed for days on end or I wasn't going to work when I should be going to work I, I couldn't, I wasn't ashamed to tell her like I was afraid she was going to judge me. I was ashamed to say it out loud to somebody who for me, Miranda for me is kind of like the counterpoint of all the, um, what's right, you know, and how you do things. We became really, really good friends when we were children, but you know, like even though her parents were divorced, she still had a really functional home space and I had an extremely dysfunctional one. And a lot of the time she protected me from a lot of the shit my mom was doing uh, and was doing to me in particular. So it, Miranda was always like this point I was trying to reach in my life, right? I wanted to go out and get married and buy a nice house and get degrees and do all the things and, um, when I say all those things, I mean them in a general, not specific points. But like she had like that package, if you will. Right. Right. Of doing things right, so to speak. I was not that girl. I didn't do any of those things right. And so when everything fell apart, I was like, I didn't want to tell her. I didn't want to tell her. I was too embarrassed. And I even survived that whole year like that and did not go and talk to a doctor about it. It wasn't until I had a full on nervous breakdown, like full on nervous breakdown that somebody finally said to me, these symptoms sound like depression and panic anxiety disorder. And I was all, nah, that's not what I got. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> kind of hard to accept it what, is. what you're being told. Yeah, it is because it it's almost like, um, I, I don't know, a failure. It feels like something's wrong with you. Right. Which in essence, it is. In essence, it is. In essence, it's that there's a chemical breakdown in your brain that is deficient. So it is. But it's like the way that people process. And I don't mean you as the person who has. I mean the other people in your life. The way that people process hearing that you have chronic depression or hearing that you have anxiety or hearing that you have panic attacks. That is almost the bigger battle sometimes than dealing with it itself. Yeah. People become very judgmental yes. upon other people. Yes. When, they, when they learn about people being diagnosed with those things, you know, you, you 
you instantly think problem. You know, I'm going to have a problem with this person. Yes. Yes. And if you are a person who is fortunate enough not to have to deal with any of those things, it's difficult for you to relate. Not because you're a bad person necessarily per se, you know, you might not be a horrible judgmental person, but you cannot understand what it's like when your own brain is waging a war inside of your head. If you yourself aren't have never dealt with it, you know? And so I, I had a full on nervous. And when I say nervous breakdown, I will be very, very frank. Um, I was, a lot of stuff was building up at that time. Um, I had recently witnessed a fatal car accident that for whatever reason, um, really, really set me off. And even now I can't quite understand why it, so deeply and profoundly affected me, but it did. I could not close my eyes at night without seeing her rolling out of the wind. I mean, she literally flew out the windshield and rolled across the freeway. And I, I just couldn't get that image out of my head. And some stuff at my job was changing and there was a, a tremendous amount of pressure over there. And every day I had to make this drive on that same street that I witnessed this woman die on mm. and then go into this hellhole of a job that was just getting really, really um, unhealthy. It was like a family owned business and somewhere in the family, someone's husband and someone's wife decided they were going to. And then that business just imploded. It went to shit. It yeah. went to shit. And so it was so tense all the time in there, you know, because everyone was whispering about the breakdown of the the business and the relationships. And this person wouldn't work in this building because they wouldn't talk to it, it was crazy. It was like being in a soap opera. And so that combination just made it really, really intense. And I was already going through a bunch of intense stuff in my head. And so one morning I was driving into work and, you know, it's hard to even admit this because as much of a thought as it was in that one second, it wasn't a thought if that makes sense to anyone and it might not but I just remember thinking if this car just drove into oncoming traffic it would just be done like it would be over I wouldn't have all of this feeling well I think that's actually pretty common because I have I have several friends that suffer from depression big been diagnosed with you know many different things and it seems that right there is kind of the pattern, part of the pattern to it. The, and that being, you know, if if it was if I was just gone, none of this none of these things that are occurring would bother me anymore. It all it all be over. So I you know, I, I can understand it. I do not I'm not a I'm not a person that suffers from you know, depression, anxiety, but I have. I, so I guess my, my point is I don't suffer from it regularly. I can, Not all depression is a chemical imbalance. It's important to note that. I have the kind that is. Some depression is situational. Um, sometimes, um, you know, somebody who's never dealt with depression could in, in, entertain or survive through something traumatic or something very difficult, that, and that can trigger an episode of it. So it sounds to me like that might be the kind that you had. Situational. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that that was the, the one I had uh, at a particular time in my life where everything kind of got flipped upside down. I think I told you the story. Yes, you did. And uh, I went through about a two-week span in my life where... I just felt dead. I mean, I felt like I had nothing in me. Uh, couldn't couldn't get get up and do things. And so, you know, I, I recognized that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. It was a weekend. It was it was it was one weekend where I just felt like you know I had nothing left in me. I was done. Didn't want to do anything. The tank is just and, empty. And I and I knew that was wrong. Right. I I knew something was wrong. Right. So I called to make an appointment to talk to someone uh, at my hospital, you know. I do remember this yes, story. Yes, <laughs> I, call, I called and explained kind of what was going on to the advice nurse and, and said, yeah, I, I really need to sit down and talk to somebody, blah, 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 blah. So they make an appointment. I go in. I go into the hospital and um, they bring me in and uh, they, you know, brought me in, checked my weight, checked my temperature, all this stuff. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, <laughs> I'm saying to myself, why, why does this not seem right? <laughs> and so I go and sit down and the doctor comes in and 
and the doctor says, "Hey, so t- you know, talk to me. Tell me what. Tell me what's going on." And basically, I, I said, "Well, I'm here to talk to somebody. You know, I'm going through a little rough patch right, right. now." And the doctor goes, "Well, that's not what your appointment says. <laughs> it says you needed a checkup. So I'm here to give you a physical." <laughs> and so I laughed my ass off. I laughed my ass off, and I'm like. This is like perfect. This is exactly this, the kind of shit is, that would happen to is, me. This is perfect. This is about par for how things are going for me right now. And I and I said to the doctor, I said, you know what? I think I'm all good. Thank you so much. And I walked out of there smiling. And that little meeting with the doctor shifted things. Basically snapped that. I, I was good after that. And and I actually I remember going back to the house formulating a plan what i'm gonna do with my life where am i going time to get back on my feet and quit trying to just sit here and do nothing and go and so that that was one time where you know i I felt i i truly did experience some type of depression because it was a mental thing that affected me physically right and and i i just could not i couldn't shake it no matter what i tried to do no matter how I tried to make my thought process, anything. It just, it was, I was stuck in mud. But after that, after the doctor, you know, pulling the stunt on me, I think I was, I was good. So. The, the, that story is hilarious it, and very much a story that would happen to you. Yeah. Um, but thank God that you weren't actually clinically depressed because right. one of the major factors with people with depression is they don't ever get to the point where they go to a doctor. There's shame, there's embarrassment, there's fear, there's stigma. That, you know, I actually had somebody tell me, oh, I don't want to be on the list. And I was like, what? what's the list? Uh, apparently, this person believes that there's like a government list of all of us with mental disorders. Oh, oh and, and that okay. w- we have some, you know, big file somewhere, you know, like in um, the, what's the Area gym? 51? What's the Jim Carrey movie? <laughs> the one where he thinks, Bruce, Bruce Almighty, remember yeah. the giant file cabinet? Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess they think there's like a government one of those and, and we all have like check marks if we have any mental illness. Okay. Um, I, listen, and, and here's the crazy part is that this person was not being funny. This was like a legitimate, like, nah, I could never put that on the record that I feel that way. No, I don't want to be on the list. I was like, what list? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that list you don't know about, obviously. But so the thing is, is that there's all these different reasons why people don't go talk to a doctor. And and I can't even, like, I can't sit here and make that statement without, like, uh, with being judgmental about it because I get it. Because even when that was my experience, you know, where I, like, I just remember legitimately feeling like just done with fighting and it wasn't like it wasn't like the thought was like i'm going to be committing suicide that wasn't it but in retrospect i understood that that feeling of if i just drove into oncoming traffic everything would be good was not a normal feeling not only was it not a normal feeling but that i would at that time I mean, my daughters were still young and i was you know their sole support i'm still their sole support <laughs> <laughs> one day one day mom but you know like I, it was it's just me out here with them and, and it was like all of the quote unquote normal reactions that people would have to a thought like that, I wasn't having. It was very much kind of like a, like almost like a breath of relief. Like, yeah, it could just be done. And then there's this other part of me that was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like there's this internal battle happening where like you, no, no, none of this. Right. And so I used to have to drive uh, 45 minutes each way to this job. And so the second half of this job, I was like really having this, like waging this internal war and having this battle like in my brain of like you this isn't normal and you have to say something to someone about it you have to address it but the other fear that people have with talking to anyone is the fear of getting 5150 um which and i'll explain what that is to those of you who don't know um if you go in and you express any thoughts of suicide to anyone who is a mandatory reporter the chances are very good that they are going to put you in what is called a 5150 mandatory 72 hour hold. And that means that you are considered a danger to yourself and they have to hospitalize or institutionalize you. And that's most people's big fear. I mean, didn't we watch a movie? Something like that. Yes, the fuck we did, but that movie was fucked up. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, even, I don't even remember what it was called. Uh, I don't either, uh, but I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and that was fucked up. Yeah. In fact, as a person who is a person who has been, um, 
admitted to a facility. <clears throat> that movie's the fear everyone who who has a mental can't illness. Get out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you that, can't that, get out. That you have no control. Yep. But opposite of Alton's experience, I got to work and tried to work and and it wasn't happening. Like I, I legitimately was something had shifted with that thought. And so I excused myself and went outside and I called my um, 800 number from my insurance, my doctor's office. And I said, um, something isn't right. I feel weird. And I was having all this chest tightening and I couldn't focus. And, and I kind of convinced myself maybe I was having a heart attack or something. And so I was like, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they were like, mm, you're talking quite well <laughs> for a mm. person who's having a heart attack. Yeah. So what are your symptoms? And so I started to describe my symptoms and she was like, I'm going to put you on hold for a second. I'm going to transfer you to a physician. And, you know, a little bit later, somebody comes over. I'm sure it wasn't a physician. It was probably like a nurse or somebody. But they came on the line and they were like, hey, you know, this is so-and-so. Please talk to me about your what you're feeling. And I was explaining my feelings and um, and what I was struggling with. And they were like, um, so we're going to have you leave work right now. Um, we want you to give us a number where we can reach your bosses. You do not need to talk to them. You, It's time to leave. And we will make sure that before you leave the property, there is something uh, with your boss, with human resources saying that you're out on a medical leave. And I think that was the first time I realized it was something serious, but I didn't know what it was. Um, and so they asked me to come right into the doctor. And then on the drive there, I got really scared and I didn't go because then mm. I was like, am I in trouble? What I do wrong? You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so when I missed the appointment, they called me and called me and called me and called me. And with increasing intensity in the messages that were being left, because I had implied that I had had a suicidal thought. Mm-hmm. And so um, I finally answered and I explained that I was not feeling that anymore, but that I had left and they scheduled me an appointment first thing in the morning, um, which thank God, because I think I had somebody who realized that maybe I wasn't in the same kind of crisis that I was earlier, but that I was still in one. And I went and um, ultimately I was put in a um, two week um, outpatient program and I was taken out of work for two weeks. I was put on um, family medical leave. Uh, short-term leave and I spent two weeks in a facility that I was able to go to from 8 a.m. to I want to say like 2.30 mm-hmm. and there were I want to say I don't know 10 15 people there all kind of going through the same program it was actually called um intensive out out intensive outpatient something it was IOP is what it was called but thank god for that program okay thank god for that program I learned I was diagnosed I learned coping skills. Um, I was put on medication, which I fought initially. I did not want to be put on antidepressants. And um, I was finally convinced it was the right thing for me. And it was. It was the right thing for me. And I was on antidepressants for a little over a year. And everything changed. My coping skills changed. I I didn't know that I was codependent. I learned about that. I had an unusually unhealthy relationship with my mom. Um, I've always known the relationship was unhealthy, but I didn't realize how how like deeply embedded in her shit my shit was. Um, so I learned about being codependent. Um, I learned about how depression is a familial thing for a lot of people. Um, I learned about an ACE exam, which a lot of people don't know about. It's essentially a test that is administered Um, about your childhood and your experiences and the kind of trauma that you've endured. And based on that, you can sort of get a determination about um, what kind of things you yourself could um, subsequently be um, at risk for. So uh, children of addicts are exponentially higher at risk for being addicts. Um, Children of abuse, physical and sexual abuse, are at a much higher risk of ending up in the sex trade. So that kind of thing. I learned about all this. I didn't know about any of that. I'm learning as I'm sitting here talking to you. And that's the thing is like, it's so crazy when you think that if you're sitting in a room with any given group of homies, at least a handful of them are dealing with some level of mental illness. And yet we don't talk about it. And people don't know about the things that they may or may not be um, at risk for. You know, gambling, drug addiction, any kind of addiction, you're at a higher risk for based on how much trauma you've endured. Because if you've endured a ton of trauma, you don't have you don't typically have great coping. And so there is always something to help make it feel better. 
sex addicts. Like it happens. And so I, I learned, I learned in this program and I had no interest in being a forever patient, which I think is another thing people worry about. Like you're going to start every conversation with what my therapist says and blah, blah, blah. You know, the truth is, is after about a year and some months, I was actually able to go off of the antidepressants and I sustained a lot of period of years without them. And it, you know, we might be going back into another phase of needing <laughs> yeah. them. If I'm being honest, yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I, I've talked about it casually it's been a rough few years and um just because you're on the on the other side of things having been difficult doesn't mean that there's not some scars and right. some things that um you, you know you might need a little extra help with dealing with even though you're on the on the other end of it that that was something my therapist told me <laughs> <laughs> and um you know, I, I, if you asked me if I thought I was a strong person, I'd check the box that I am. But even strong people have things that are out of their control. Absolutely. And that, and that's, that's what it is. And not all mental disorders are the same. Um, I think that it's important to note that neither Alton nor I are doctors or therapists or anything like that. Really? We're, we're <laughs> well, sometimes people hear people talk and they hear them speaking with a, a certain element of experience and then all of a sudden they're interpreted as some sort of an expert. Oh, we no. ain't no expert. Nope. Um, we are specifically speaking to our own experiences. I am diagnosed with depression and anxiety and panic disorder. Alton is diagnosed with having had a rough bump in his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a little different. It's a little, a little different. A little different, but uh, I have been in a relationship uh, for quite some time that, uh, my other the other person in the relationship was diagnosed and i you know spent some i'd say a significant amount of time with that person day in and day out and so i i experienced it firsthand how it the personality changes uh, how the mood swings how you how, were in a relationship with somebody who had one of the psychotic disorders though it was it was a it was a chemical imbalance. Yeah, uh, I want to say that uh, it was called dysthymia was one of the diagnosis. I had and, never even heard it, of that. And it was treated uh, with medication. Right. And so during that time, you 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 get to see a person change, and that, and that's really what happens. The the person changes. You see them at their lows. You see them at their highs, and then. You know, at time of diagnosis and medication, you see something in the middle. I'm not going to say it's the middle. Uh, I'm just going to say it's not going to say it's the same person that it it's was. It's not before. the same person as it is. That's right. You know, so I know we're talking about people and depression, but I I guess I want to also throw in there the people who live with people yes. that have depression that are diagnosed with anxiety and and uh, so on. So yeah, because if you love someone, you're in the trenches with them. Yes. When they're in a particularly low space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, had its good times, had its bad times. Um, you know, it it, it, it had it, some really bad times. Yeah, it, it did. You went through, uh, you went through some horror stuff in that in that in that low point and. That puts you in a position, you know, and, and it's hard to love somebody who it isn't even their fucking fault what they're dealing with. Right. Right. Because everything that upsets you, you want to have a space to assign blame and there's no blame in this. Right. But I will say that even after diagnosis, you almost want to hit the reset button and say what you're just saying, you know. I can't blame that person because that person had an issue that they couldn't control that they that they didn't even know was there maybe knew something was there but lived with it for so long thought that was just the norm kind of deal right but still that was their normal because they didn't know any better right but but still you 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 still look for some type of accountability while you're in a relationship you're still looking for some type of accountability. That's honest. It is not just the wipe the slate clean and that's it. It's a done deal. You know, damage gets done. 
in a relationship when when things happen. And if if you're not cognizant of what you're doing to that other person and doing things that you want to do, feel that you have the right to do or don't care about how the other person feels because of right you can't this, care you right? can't care you can't you even though you might on some level be cognizant that what you're doing is wrong um and i'll use the example of bipolar not in your particular situation right just because i can't speak on yours um it, when people with bipolar are you know flying high if you will in a manic state um they've been known to steal they've been known to think that they're invincible you know no one knows better than them they're, they're solving you know world issues and so if in that moment a behavior was done that was a bad behavior they would not have done that outside of that space more than likely. Right. You know, they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't. And I say probably, cause you know, some people are just bad people, but we're talking about people who are, this is out of their control because of their mental disorder. You know, this person's flying high and then they go and they say, steal something. Cause in their mind, they've convinced themselves that it's theirs to have anyway. Right. And then they get in trouble and then they get leveled out with meds. You still got to deal with the consequences of right. what you did when you were sick. And, in the in in the um, part of it that's in an interpersonal relationship, you might now be leveled out by medication. You might now no longer be in in the risky patterns that you were in, but you have caused damage. And the person that you love, that you did all of those things to, they still them. Correct. They they don't they don't get to take the pill for things to level out. They still no. know all of the spaces that you've done damage to them. Right. Yeah. So. It, it's a tough position to be in. It is. It, it is a tough one. But that's what you sign up for in relationships. You know, it you, is and it isn't. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you sign up for uh, being down with that person. You right. know, you do. And you go through the good and the bad and just kind of how it is in mm-hmm. a sense, you know. It's funny because, you know, in hood vernacular, we call it ride or die, right? That's yeah. the ride or die. But the truth of the matter is, is that nobody gets a fucking cape for being a ride or die yeah. with somebody. And oftentimes that means some no good dude is out there doing what he's doing and, and she's the ride or die holding him down no matter what. That's just dumb. Yeah. Like, I don't subscribe to you staying there with some dumbass who treats you like shit. But then on the other level, ride or die with somebody who you love, who there's something that is happening that is out of their control. That's a different thing. And, and, and I'm not saying you should stay forever and ever. Amen with somebody. Cause sometimes the damage is too great and you really right. just kind of can't repair it. Um, and you can still say to that person, you know, I love you. I loved you, but I can't get past it. Right. And, and you should have every right to go if that's, what's the right thing to do for both of you. Cause you you don't help somebody if you're sitting there with your mental Rolodex of all the ways that they fucked you. Right. 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 Nobody's healthy then. Correct. And this person's trying to be healthy, you know, for the things they can't control. So in this one, relationships sometimes are the ones you can. Well, we will say they some people try to be healthy. The truth is a lot of people who get diagnosed do not want to be on medication. I know that struggle. And don't go on medication, which I can understand, but it, it fixes no problem. It it basically it basically makes it worse because now you know what's going on, and now and they won't you're not going to do anything to fix it. Right now, throw a spouse in with that, or a boyfriend, or you know, serious girlfriend, mm-hmm. and that person has to deal with that too. Right, deal with the doctor saying, "Hey, this is what's going on." This is what you should do. And I and I can see it like a 50-50 thing. Like, well, I don't want to go on this medication. Well, you know, it's not going to get better if you don't. Right. Well, if I go on this medication, I'm going to change. I'm not going to be me. And, and That's a big concern. I feel that way. I know. I know. I feel that way. Like, is it going to take away my sharpness, my edge, the things about myself that maybe some people wish would go away, but I like them. (laughs) It will change you. It does. It has to. Mm -hmm. It will. It has to. It has to level out some of the unhealthy parts. And in that, you know, some of the parts that are inherently you are, um, they fall victim to that. Yeah. But then there's the weight. Then there's the balance. Like, what is the better position? What's the better Lori? You know, is it the, the Lori who is 
like super edgy and snappy and crying for no reason and doesn't want to get out of bed and just feels like I could sleep for 40 hours. No, that's not the Lori that is my best me. And so if it means that there's other parts of my personality that, that are going to be but potentially temporarily softer, if you will, the word I'll use is softer, put to sleep, whatever you want to call it, then I have to understand that the the bigger picture allows me to to get more of myself back. So when you got off the medication, how are you able to stay off the medication? Um, I was able to learn a lot of coping skills for when I start to feel overwhelmed. Um, I was also taught a lot about my triggers. Triggers are a big thing that um, I, I don't think people like to talk about enough, but I have things that very much trigger me and they can set me backwards. Um, so once I was able to sort of identify my triggers, I could see if I was starting to fall back into some bad behaviors. And then I, like I said, I start to make a little list like, okay, I'm doing this again, or I'm behaving like this again, or these things, these behaviors are coming back up. And then it's time for me to not only just check in with myself, but it's time to check in with a, with a therapist. I no longer, um, I have not in the last few years been seeing a therapist on a regular basis. Like I was after the breakdown where I was going every single week for a session. Um, and then it went to twice a month and now it's a, it's a very different thing. Um, I check in where it's needed, where it's important. And so, you know, of late I've increased my visits. Um, another thing is, is that a lot of the time when you're in the checking in phase, you're seeing like a, um, an LMFT, uh, what is that? Marriage, family therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but when you, once you, go back because things are starting to, to change. Typically they'll refer you to a psychiatrist. Who's the ones that can write drugs? Is it a psychologist? I, I thought that was a psychiatrist. It's the one that you can write drugs for a prescription for. It's, it's that guy. I'm going to look it up while I'm talking because be it's important. It's important to make sure that I get that right. So what will happen is, is that they will, you know, they'll see you, you know? Um, all right. I'm looking this up. Psychologist and psychiatrist i want to make sure i got it right because that matters okay here we go what's the difference between a psychologist and psychiatrists are trained medical doctors that can prescribe medications there you go psychologists focus focused extensively on psychotherapy and treating emotional mental sufferings in patients with behavioral inter um, intervention so um my therapist my diet counselor if you will has sent me to see a psychiatrist because it's time to evaluate whether it's time for me to go back on medication or not um and and for me it doesn't always have to be antidepressants sometimes it can be a really really mild antidepressant that also helps keep the anxiety at bay um so you know that's just me it's different for everyone there are some people who are forever and ever amen going to be on medication to help control mood. Right. Um, my daughter had a completely random medical health scare a few years ago. She had an experience for something she had never had before. And then there was like, oh, I want to say like a month that, that these things kept happening. And then, Oh, okay. remember? Yep. And then yep. she was prescribed some medication and the medication had a warning that like this tiny percentage of people experienced that psychotic break on this medication and she did and she did she was sitting next to me one day and she was like talking to herself hmm. like having a conversation and i was like you good kid and she looked at me and i could you can see when someone is no longer present when something else is there T taking over yeah. yeah and she she just didn't even look like herself and she she started to cry like she started to sob she's like mom something's wrong with me i want to i want to do horrible things to myself and i was like what yeah and she's like i she's like i'm like i spend all day thinking about all the horrible ways and horrible things i can do to kill myself and and, and i'm scared and it freaked me the fuck out and yeah. i mean terrified me because i knew i knew as soon as we went and told someone what was happening i knew what was gonna yeah. happen yep. that's what happened took it tonight to the emergency room and they sure enough put on that different color wristband and yep. put you in the in the unit where the doors don't open on their own. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, we were able to find out that it was a reaction to the medication. But it forever changed 
her. Mm. She is now forever and always on medication to mood stabilize. She had never had these experiences before this medical thing. Right. And then after that experience, I can see, like, if she's not good about getting her prescription refilled and she's gone a couple of days, I can see it. You, you can tell in her personality. And so. Well, because the medication has created a personality. Correct. So her, her normal personality was coming back. Well, and, the personality that was, um, the personality that has tendencies that are unhealthy, hmm. if you will. And so, um, yeah, that's where she's at now. That's how she's living now. And I'll be honest with you. She's happier. She's infinitely happier when things are stabilized. And I'm, there's no shame in, in, in the house. We actually jokingly, I know this is really terrible. We actually jokingly call them all our crazy pills for those of us who are on them. Because, because if we're not on them, the crazy is exponentially worse. Um, you know, um, I, do I know if she's going to be on them for the rest of her life? I don't know. But for the past few years, she's needed them and they've done great by her. And she's, I mean, hell, you know, she's she, thriving. Yeah, I was going to say, she's thriving right she's now. She's thriving. So. so, you know, not all mental illness is the same. I know people who have the kind of depression that, like, they go under. They they Correct. They disappear months on end, can't get out of the bed, yep. can't shower, just disconnected from everything. Yep. And, and everyone's is different and and of course if you have one kind then you have the fear that god forbid the day i ever had that kind right mm -hmm. because it's scary it's scary to think like that you have no control over your physical body that your body is so disconnected from your brain that you end up in this situation it's terrible and i know people who who live with this and have families that go through it with them and it's fucking heartbreaking but it is it's the reality it's their it's what they have to deal with it's what they have to deal with. And so I just wish that we could talk more openly about these things so that we can destigmatize it as though there's something wrong. Yeah, in that moment, there's something wrong. But you yourself, there's nothing wrong with you. It, it's happening. So many of us have this in whatever shape or form we have it. I have the misfortune of having a dual diagnosis. You think it's, it's cute to have more than one shit fucking wrong with you? <laughs> nah, it's not. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't know what my anxiety was. I didn't understand what anxiety was for years. Same here. I, I don't think I understood what it was until maybe a couple of years ago. And I, and I think the reason is because I experienced a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. And so... It was a very, it was a little scary. It was a little odd, I would say, because the feelings that you have, physical feelings. They're out know, of your control. Absolutely. It, similar to what you were saying, you know, you, you, I think I'm having a heart attack kind of deal. Right. And, you know, I've had that feeling when I had that collapsed lung Years That's ago, right. you know, I, 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 I kind of it felt like I was having a heart attack kind of out of your control. You know, um, anxiety does feel different than a collapsed lung. I do know that for <laughs> for a fact. A little something, something a, different. A little different. But I've never had a collapsed lung, so I can't tell you exactly. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Let me knock on wood here. There you go. <laughs> so I, I can, uh, you know, and, and people have different uh, levels of anxiety. Correct. And some people have that crippling you can't know, go outside. Can't go outside. Mm -hmm. can't, Everything can't, bad is happening. You got it. Yep. You know, and I know a few people like that. I do they, too. They suffer from it. And I'm luckily, I, I feel I've only experienced it once. So I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on wood. Thank you. And, but I, I know it's out there. I know, I know people suffer from it every day. Yep. And it's debilitating to some people. Yep. So the first time I had a panic attack, that I know I had, um, that I can literally pinpoint. I know that was a panic attack. Once I understood what a panic attack was, I woke up. I have this weird kind of panic where I wake up out of sleep in a full blown panic attack. Um, that's not how everyone has it, but that's where I get, I, it's affected me the worst. I'll wake up out of my sleep in a full blown panic attack. And it is the worst because you know, when you wake up, you kind of takes you a minute to discern right. what's real and what's not. And so, um, I woke up I was back when I lived in Nashville and I was in full blown panic attack mode. I was convinced somebody was trying to break in the house and kill my children. 
Don't ask me why. There's no logic applied to it. Hmm. There was no one there. Okay. Uh, no one was in the house because believe me, I spent an hour literally canvassing every part of this. Mind you, my children are asleep in the, in their rooms, you know, and I am like a crazy person running around the house looking for this person that I'm convinced is there trying to kill them. And the way that I ended that night was to sit there. And so the house that I had in Nashville was quite big and the girls um, had their own wing, if you will. <laughs> And their bedrooms were all in that section of the house. And so I sat down on the floor in the hallway um, with a very large weapon. Um, I was also licensed to carry back in those days, if that doesn't scare you. Like somebody who was dealing with the full-blown issues I was dealing with without knowing. And I had a damn weapon. Um, People who want guns should get checked. I'm just saying. Like, I am a full advocate for that. Yes. I don't mind that you want guns. No. No. But there's got to be a check-in process. Because at that moment... Thank God none of my children walked out of the room when I was full tilt boogie tripping. But I remember just sitting on that floor, weapons at my side, waiting for the motherfucker to come in. I had all their doors open and I was just sitting there. And I sit, I sat there till the sun came up, waiting for this person that was never going to come. And in that moment, I had convinced myself that whatever this thing was, was real. And it was my job to protect. And I was sitting there, just, I remember just pouring, sweating. And just, I just, I could like, taste death i don't know how to make that make sense because it was all in my head and i know that now and i know that if you're a person who doesn't deal with anxiety you're like this bitch is tripping but it was real to me in that moment right and i ultimately fell asleep on the floor in the hallway Hmm. and i think again thank the planet you know whatever whatever it is that there is in the world that that is bigger than me thank it because i woke up before my daughters did and was able to put everything away and like what the fuck was that yeah like you know like i had to sit there with myself like what 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 was that what were you doing and it didn't happen again for a long time but and certainly not to that um extreme but later when i was told what panic disorder was and what some of the symptoms were and how some people get it i was like oh that's what that was i wasn't crazy like crazy crazy but i was crazy because you know I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, you know, we, we just have this idea that if somebody, you know, we call women emotional, right? We we call women dramatic. And, and so you understand that people just have this idea that that's because of your vagina. That's how you are. And you become a little anxious about telling people. I was too afraid to tell anybody that I was, you know, fucking making up a, a bad guy in my head that I was trying to kill. Right. But when I look back at it years and years later, I was like, oh my God, that's what that was. I was in a break, mm-hmm. you know? It's terrible. It's terrible and it's sad, but it is what I've experienced. It's my experience. And every time I get over an episode, I'm stronger. And I've learned a little something about like, Okay, I can recognize this symptom is coming on. I can recognize this thing is happening. I don't do a lot of crowded spaces. Um, crowded spaces are a major trigger for me. I don't like people bumping into my space and touching me, um, especially if I can't see where I'm being bumped and touched. That's one of the things that really um, can really set off some of my stuff. And so I'm, I'm very mindful of that. Like I know to keep myself out of those situations. I used to love going to like concerts, but like, down in the you know in the general area where everybody mm-hmm. was no seats now i had to kill that noise because you know the right person bumping into me in the right time and, and i did not know how my reaction was going to be it literally is to explode and that, that's not normal if you're down there and there's people and there's no chairs that's and there's what's music, gonna happen that's what's gonna happen so my reaction is the not normal thing but i didn't know that at the time and so i just don't put myself in those situations now I just don't, um, fireworks. I know people love 4th of July. Um, fireworks are big trigger for me. It's something about all that extreme sound and popping and I can't see where it's happening at. It it does something. Uh, don't get me wrong. They're beautiful. The ones with all the lights and shit, but all those ones that sound like you're in fucking war. No, no, hmm. they, they, they just, they do something to me. Just talking about it right now. I'm getting like the flop sweat because it's that visceral, that feeling. Hmm. And I just have to know those things and be mindful not to stick myself in those situations. That's what I got to do. Allison's okay. looking at me like, she crazy. 
<laughs> I'm like, well, guess we ain't going to no fireworks anytime soon. <laughs> you know, for years, um, my sister worked for a company in Nashville that had this one of the, I guess at the time, the tallest building in Nashville. And we would use her pass and we would go to the top floor for Fourth of July. And we could watch the fireworks without all the intent no, intense noise. And that was great because then I could participate in the holiday without all the like craziness. Right. Airplanes are another trigger for me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know that one. <laughs> There's like some weird thing with a lack of control that. Yeah. I still fly. Don't get me wrong. I ain't no punk bitch. But you tripping. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. 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 Um, the arm armrest and lost a, uh, a few inches of material. <laughs> oh, God forbid. If you're the person sitting next to me. Yeah. Yeah. Planes are very triggering to me. I don't know why. Hmm. Well, that's not true. I had a weird experience when I was a kid, but. It shouldn't still be something that messes with me so heavy, but yeah, I don't like, yeah. Mm. Like I just started, like it's hard to swallow. (laughs) Like it's a physical reaction. And that's the thing I think people don't realize that, you know, anxiety is not just like I'm nervous. That's not what the fuck my anxiety is. Right. Anxiety is, is, is this tiny little seed of concern blooms into my brain into a full tilt worry. And it's an illogical worry. And that's, I think, the key is that even when I'm in a full panic attack or full anxiety attack mode, there is always a part of my brain that is very cognizant that this is illogical. Hmm. And yet the other part of my brain is speaking more loudly than the logical part. And it is the one that is affecting me and taking over. Hmm. And that, that's, what, that's the best way I can describe it. Interesting. It starts out as a little tiny little whisper and it literally becomes a roar and it takes over. Yeah, I I I can't say I know what that's like, but I can understand. Yeah. That's uh you have to educate yourself everybody. You never know the the people who experience these things. They could be the person sitting right next to you and just you just thought that was normal stuff, you know, and the right. truth is that they probably should go get some help. They should go talk to somebody and and see if they, if things don't seem right, you should investigate it and see what's what's going on. And also know that just because somebody has a bunch of letters after their name does not mean that they're the necessarily the perfect fit for you. Um, I have had my fair share of therapists that it was like, nah, this ain't gonna work. This ain't gonna work. But I have the personality that can say, I don't fuck with this person. Right. Give me someone else. Mm-hmm. N- most people don't. And so if I had anything I could say to anybody who maybe is sitting on the fence about going to to talk to somebody is that who you talk to about the things that go on in your head that are out of your control, that matters just as much as getting the help. And so in that instance, you do have to advocate for yourself and say, listen here, person with the 63 letters after your name. You might be world renowned. You might have spoken at the most important podiums. But for me, you're a piece of shit and you're not hearing me. Right. That matters. So just because the person is a doctor or just because the person is a is a therapist of some sort does not necessarily mean that they are perfect for you. Correct. And so you have to you have to understand that when you're sharing those deep, dark fears that are so hard for you to take out of your head and put into the universe, you got to make sure that the person you're saying them to is somebody who um, is a good fit. That also goes for general practitioners. Yes, the fuck it does. You know I, I'll kick a doctor the fuck out of my room in a second. Yeah, I ended up <laughs> uh, changing my uh, general practitioner. And it was for the sole reason that one day I looked into my medicine cabinet and it was full. I remember this conversation. Yeah, it was full. And I'm saying to myself, why am I prescribed all this crap? So I said I was going to make a change. I opened up that medicine cabinet and cleared it out completely. And fired his ass. Fired his ass. And got another doctor. And I love him. I, I love him to death. He's he's like my homie. I can email him. He email, emails me right back when I see him. We always talk and BS and everything. And he's not quick to write a prescription. He doesn't want to write a prescription. And that's what I love about him. You know, how do we do this naturally? Right. You know, and he's all about it. So sometimes, you know, if if the 
if the glove don't fit, <laughs> you, you must have quit. <laughs> you know, if that the, doc ain't it. Yeah. If, if, if the doctor doesn't fit. Show someone your tit. You guys. No, wait. You, you got, that might have gone too far. Yeah. Sorry. You're, you're left again. Sorry. <laughs> but if, if, you know, if, if it's time and if you feel that, you know, a change needs to happen, then make the change. Yes. Make it. Don't. Don't You're just not going to get better with somebody who doesn't fit with you. Don't just keep sitting there and, well, this is what the doctor said. Right. And this is what the doctor said. That's right. Well, maybe it's time to go ahead and get another doctor and see what they say. And you have that right. Absolutely. Even if you're a person who's on government Medicaid, Medicaid, Medi-Cal, whatever the hell you call it, government insurance, you have the right to say, yo, this, this person don't fit. I need somebody else. Yes. You have that right. It doesn't matter where you're at with the insurance. I've had the the stuff that the government gives all the way up to the fancy, fancy stuff when I was working in corporate. And let me tell you something. There are just some doctors. It's like regular life. Yeah. There are people who you might come into contact with who are to everybody else. They're a fucking walking God. And you're like, I don't fuck with this person. Yep. And that's just what it is. Doesn't fit me. Doesn't fit me. So if, if I have anything, if I have any advice to give, it would be. To just make sure that you advocate enough for yourself, even even in the throes of a deep depression or in the in the middle of major anxiety, panic, whatever the thing is you're dealing with, I would say to you, make sure that the, and and don't use that as an excuse not to stay with one doctor. That's not what I mean at all. I'm saying that if you're talking to a person and you feel like you're not being heard because this person has a a single minded street that they approach to getting you better and they don't present you with options that you feel like are feasible, then that's when you talk to somebody else. But you know, at the same time, you also can't be the motherfucker who's just like, nah, that won't work. Nah, that won't work. Cause you know, right. you are there looking for help. Right. Exactly. So, you know, that can, that can get to be a little slippery slope, especially if you're still in denial over having a mental illness. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and we'll name it mental illness. <laughs> You know, that's like I said, if we do anything with this podcast, it's just to talk about the fucking things that we all are either dealing with or know is an issue and and talk about them in a way that is safe, you know, in a way that is not um, blaming or mean spirited in a way that's inclusive and safe like that. That's what I'm looking for. I think uh, we're just bringing a little awareness. That's it. You know, and, and speaking no, from I, personal uh, experience, you know, you guys uh, take what you just heard and and if it applies to you, please apply it and and look for some help. And, you know, if, if you have been dealing with it and it seems things are not right, then look for other help. Change your doctor. Uh, look, look and, you know, get into some different type of therapy but being talk to a trusted friend who can give you advice in the right direction there are some friends that you're going to talk to who are going to be like ah, you're just going through a little thing and then there's some friends who are going to sit back and go no you haven't been right for some time and exactly. I, i've been worried too and i want to see you get better so sometimes being stagnant becomes totally unhealthy so right. so be proactive and and try to you know figure this thing out and and if you can figure it out with someone that's even better and more than anything, don't feel ashamed because the next time you sit in a room with four of your homies, you can look and you can say, it's not just me. You know, the next time you're in a restaurant and there's 20 people there, there's three other people like you in there. Exactly. Easily. It, it is what it is real. There are people who are going through it. And of course, even if you found 10 people who were diagnosed with the same exact thing as you, you all go through it differently. And that's kind of the real important thing to, to know. You know, it doesn't affect everyone the same. It's not like fucking acne, right? Right. Acne, everybody gets it and it's like, oh, my fucking face, my skin is terrible. And this is ter and that's awful for the people who deal with it. But by and large, everyone has it the same way, right? Right. Mental illness is not that way. It, it comes in different shapes and forms. It comes in, in different, it manifests itself differently for each person. So, you know, if you've got a trusted friend, you can kind of, especially if you're afraid to go talk to a doctor right away. You know, sometimes you can you can say to your friend, like, this is what I'm feeling and this is what's going on. And these are my concerns. And, and that person can say to you, yeah, this might be out of my pay grade. Right. This might be something you do need to talk to somebody else about. And that's not because they don't want to help you and hear you. It's because they want you to be safe. I agree. I've had plenty of people come to me with some shit and I'm like, mm -mm. 
they don't pay me enough for this one. <laughs> I love you, but if I say something wrong here, I could hurt you. Yeah. So, okay. today wasn't the usual schniggles and giggles that we usually have, but it was important for me to address it. Um, even some of the not quite podcasting as often as we have, some of that has just been that I've just, I ain't been around as much and stuff going on. So, wanted to just talk about it, be honest with it. So, there you go. I talk about it and you do not have to join this conversation and put your business out in the street. But if you do feel confident enough to talk about it, to share, please do. All right. Well, I think that does it for this one. I We got a really good podcast coming up this next week, too. So we're excited. Yeah, we have a couple of guests. We're digging into some fun stuff. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, you guys. Chat with us. Peace. Bye.